Welcome to the FitPro Podcast, a brand new initiative from FitPro for forward-thinking professionals who want the latest information while on the move. We hope you enjoy this week's pod, and for further information about today's podcast, head over to our social media pages and start the conversation. And to offer feedback and suggestions for future podcasts, get in touch with us at publish at fitpro.com. Hi guys, today we've got two people joining us for our podcast, Louise Grant, a physiotherapist who co-owns PhysioCure in Leeds, and Tom Higo, a PT who works closely with Louise on a referral system. They're going to talk us through the main causes of hip pain in clients who cycle, and some corrective exercises you can implement, and also a bit about referrals between healthcare professionals and fit pros. So Louise and Tom, thank you for joining us. Thanks Aisling for inviting us. Hi, my name is Louise Grant. I've been a chartered physio for over 25 years, with the last 10 being focused on my special area of interest, hips. As part of my master's degree research, I carried out research into looking at prehabilitation exercises in preparation for hip surgery, which showed positive trends towards this intervention. I own a private practice in Leeds with my business partner, Anna, and we both help hip patients in both conservative and post-operative methods. We are really fortunate to work alongside some of the top hip specialist consultant surgeons in the UK. Together working with Tom Higo, our hip specialist physical trainer, has been extremely beneficial for our hip patients. Communication between us all and understanding of each of the team's unique role is crucial in working together in a relationship like this. We find that in our team, no one attempts to undermine each other. There's, we don't have any egos. And then everyone has got their unique part to play and needs to be a team player. And this ensures success in this multidisciplinary clinic such as ours. So looking at hip patients, the first thing I'm thinking when I'm assessing them is what's my first concern? Is it a physio problem or do they need to see a surgeon? Off the top of my head, I can list over 25 different reasons why hip pain can occur, and some of them require really urgent surgical intervention. So it's also really important that the pain gets assessed thoroughly, as a delay in treatment could be detrimental to that patient. We cannot presume that pain is just due to tight or weak muscles, because underlying pathology can be causing the muscles to behave in this fashion. And that's what we find in clinical practice. We might have a tight psoas, but that can mask things going on in the actual hip. Once we're clear what the reason for the pain is, then we can formulate a treatment plan, which then involves working together with Tom. We give each other updates on how patients are progressing, and then we flag up any problems. So my name's Tom. How I started out on this road to working for PhysioCure as a personal trainer, well, I was big into sport as a child and it just felt like a natural progression for me to go into the health and fitness industry. And then 10 years down the line, I'm a personal trainer speaking on the FitPro magazine podcast and I work alongside PhysioCure, one of the leading physiotherapy clinics in the UK. So my career started out as just a regular trainer, just trying to help people lose weight and get fit. Following all the rules and things I'd been told on my uh, fitness courses that I'd been on, various courses, and I found that people were coming to me with injuries. If I'm honest, I, I was injuring people to a certain extent as well, and there was all these kind of obstacles to overcome with these people that came through the door. So I was desperately trying to read and try and find out how I can fix these people, but the most difficult part for me was where to start, you know, what to read. And the more I read, the more questions I had, the more confused I became. And then recognising that a little knowledge is dangerous, Louise's words. 
I began to speak to the experts, if you like, seek out who to speak to. So if my client had a physio, I phoned them. If a doctor told my client not to do something, then I emailed them to ask how I could help. And then probably the most important thing is I followed through on what they told me, liaised with them regularly, and just chose to use the path of least resistance for contacting that professional just to make sure that I wasn't too annoying. And then speaking to these people, I pick up the odd name from talking to physios, people like Stuart McGill, Shirley Salmon, and then I'd go away, buy, read, borrow, anything I could to get my hands on related to that person, and then really immerse myself in everything corrective exercise, and then sort of found my niche, as it were, I think. And then over time, that's led me to gain some trust from medical professionals, patients, and then eventually getting the opportunity to work with the leading hip expert in the universe, Louise Grant. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Thank you so. pressure there. So the patients we see with hip pain in our practice are really varied. We see a lot of triathletes who have hip pain with running, cycling, occasionally with swimming, but with swimmers, we often find this is with synchronised swimmers. We see tennis players, martial artists, dancers, gymnasts, horse riders, yoga participants, cricketers, golfers, and then postnatal women who they've suffered hip trauma during childbirth, and that's when they their hip history starts. But the list does go on. There's many reasons for hip problems. So the sports that have the most research in the hip and groin pain arena and that have been researched are football and ice hockey. And there is limited research to be found in the subject of cycling overuse injuries, but we do see those sorts of people in the practice. So today we're going to focus on the cyclists we see with hip pain. So Tom, what has been your experience of seeing this group of patients? Well, personally, I've found that cyclists, you know, they have dominance in the hip flexors and weakness of the hip rotators and hip adductors and abductors due to the repetitive nature of hip flexion and extension in one plane of motion. So hip pain can be due to muscle imbalances around the hip and this type of training, or sometimes it can just occur from pushing excessively through high gears. There can be underlying pathology or poor bike position. That's definitely a big contributor. Yes, I found that common causes of hip pain in the cyclist group have been hip labral tears, sometimes on their own, but often combined with femoral acetabular impingement syndrome. Other causes may be gluteus medius tendinopathy, greater trochanteric pain syndrome, or otherwise known as trochanteric bursitis, hamstring tendinopathy, deep gluteal pain syndrome, snapping hip, iliotibial band syndrome, hip flexor tendinopathy, but be wary of this as it can be a sign there's underlying pathology and some may suffer from referred pain from the lumbar spine, from nerve root irritation. So as you can see, there's quite a, a varied amount of different causes. Less common but prudent to be aware of, especially in cyclists, is iliac artery endofibrosis, which is actually a vascular problem and it occurs in the hip and pelvic region from the repetitive nature of the hip flexion and and it can affect the blood vessels in that area. Symptoms can present as thigh pain, cramp, numbness and weakness of the leg, so just be aware that there is that condition. We also need to make sure we're looking out for anything in all individuals that may suggest more serious pathology and not just presume it's to do with their sport. So Tom, which exercise have you found useful that help cyclists in general with their hip problems? Well, I mean, before looking at any specifics, I'd be clearing the basic everyday movement patterns. You know, can they stand on one leg? Do they have glue, good glue and core function? I mean, again, it starts with basic functional movement patterns off the bike. 
you know, looking at things like squats, hip hinging, lunging, pushing, pulling, like anybody else who walks through the door, you know, is the core organized correctly? If they have poor core conditioning, the midsection isn't organized correctly, what we'd call uh, lumbar pelvic neutral, they'll never achieve joint centration of the limbs. In the case of the hip, if you stood in extension bias position, the head of the femur is going to translate forward and that's going to irritate the anterior hip structures. If I quote Stuart McGill, he says proximal stability equals distal mobility and athleticism, meaning that basically if you organise the midsection, you'll achieve joint centration, reducing the chances of hip impingement. So once I've established the basic functional movement patterns, only then would I start to integrate more sport-specific stuff. I mean, definitely we need to work on some hip rotator work and core functional exercises. Previous studies, you know, they've shown a reduction in hip adduction in the single leg squat after a program of functional movement training, but not with hip strengthening exercises alone. So what I'm saying now, I interpret that research is hip strengthening exercises in isolation are great as it switches on the lights for the hip rotators. But unless we take it into that functional setting and relearn the functional movement patterns, we'll never achieve pain-free movement, range of motion. Quite simply, the strength built in lying won't transfer to weight-bearing exercises like your squats, lunges, pushes, pulls, hip hinging, and then back on the bike. You have to retrain that with uh, the resistance exercises. So it might be that your client might be able to perform the perfect sideline leg lift, is what I'm trying to say, in isolation, but can they engage the core and glute in everyday life movement? You know, if you're just staying on the floor, is never, never going to um, correct everything. You need to get these people up moving, standing, squatting, pushing, pulling. So getting that we have to retrain the basic movement patterns so comes the dilemma because if i go into the gym and just start boshing out some back squats and some chin-ups and everything else with a client i'm going to injure this person pretty quickly i'm going to exacerbate the pre-existing postural flaws even with the best coaching cues so the method we use at physiocure is called developmental neuromuscular sequencing it's my favorite word to use <laughs> makes me sound intelligent uh, how a baby learns to move basically is what i'm getting at so baby starts off on the floor then they progress to all fours and then they get to kneeling or half kneeling and then eventually up to standing then to running and jumping and all the crazy stuff uh, i think hopefully you'll be able to see this in more detail on, on the blog itself I'll, I'll put some exercises and some some progressions on there for you guys to see so what this is basically going to do is it'll give you a path of progression for the deadlift from floor to standing and give you examples of what I'm talking about, hopefully. So if you take all those functional movements, like the squat, the pushes, the pulls, start off floor-based, think of some exercise that you can use. Uh, like, you know, for the deadlift, it might start off as a glute bridge and then progress to a glute bridge with the feet or head elevated and then go to kneeling, doing like a kneeling hip hinge, then get up to standing. Then you can look at your snatches and your broad jumps later down the line if you need to. But slowly, over a period of time, you'd build that person back up to standing, starting off with a simple glute bridge. So think at this, at this point as well, it's probably important to add some research as well. So if I quote some research looking at the hip arthroscopy itself, it's one to two years post-hip arthroscopy. People are still having a discrepancy between single leg strength. So it's going to be a year until you feel like an absolute rock star and you're ready to go again. And I think that's an important thing to get across with hip pain. It's not quick fix. You're not going to fix somebody in three weeks. It's quite a long road for some of these people, especially if they've had surgery. If, sorry, if I go back to what I was saying before, if you're starting off on the floor, you've got a ton of stability and kinesthetic feedback, as in you can feel if your back isn't flat or if you're twisted. And then over a period of time, you're sacrificing that stability and that feel as you have less and less points of contact with the floor and then eventually you're building them back up to standing and then eventual return to sport 
so then we can start doing the running and jumping so in a nutshell that is hopefully that makes sense that's that's how we're progressing rehab at the moment the general do's and don'ts of the acute hip is to stay away from excessive hip flexion and internal rotation at least until the pain's settled as we know these two can be really provocative and in a cyclist case can we change the crank you know can we change position of the bike what we we're talking about before you know, raise the handlebars, you know, it might not be the most aerodynamic position, but it'll allow them to keep going and doing the sport they love in the short term, whilst we address the address the hips and everything and get everything lined back up. So working with a bike fit specialist as well as working with the physiotherapist and the surgeon or whoever you're dealing with, is really important that we liaise with as many different people as possible. From a specific sort of exercise standpoint, you know, I'd, I'd love to speak to the people here now and tell them that this secret exercise for curing all hip pain for cyclists but without sounding too derogatory I don't feel it exists it's not that simple as Louise said before as you said you know I mean you're 25 different hip pain mm-hmm. there's so many variables in this that you can't say that is the exercise but what I would do first is you know speak to them find out about the lifestyle the background the type of cycling doing uh, when the injuries first manifested themselves as well just because somebody's riding a bike you know cycling 15 hours a week doesn't mean that that's necessarily always the cause of the hip pain in a lot of cases it is absolutely but you've got to you've got to treat each person as an individual but with regards to cycling the one of the exercises that we've had great success with is is a disassociation drill between hip flexion what's going on at the spine so doing a four-point kneeling rock back if i had to give one exercise for a cyclist again hopefully provide you an exercise on the blog so you can see this done and this is going to help disassociate between hip flexion and lumbar flexion and that's um, a Shirley Salmon yeah what absolutely is it yeah. yeah there we go yeah get that in yeah there. we'll get the reference for that yeah <laughs> but again it needs an assessment from the appropriate professional so as a personal trainer I should never diagnose in my opinion well full stop we shouldn't diagnose injuries that's the job of the therapist we need to look at the patterning correct technique liaise with the physio let them know exactly what you're doing at all times and ask for advice and approval where needed and that's where it ends for me well tom our patients think you're amazing and we've really you've really helped some complex hip patients in our practice and and it's been really sort of enlightening working with you what would you recommend for other trainers who want to sort of expand their knowledge on the hip arena area? Gosh, just the basics, to be honest. Like, I mean, you need to set apart an hour a day. There's no secret to this. There's no like quick fix person to read as such. You need to set apart an hour a day to learn. You know, ask the in- experts like yourself if you can intern with them. I've been very fortunate to kind of watch Louise work and had Louise helping me. So I've got, you know, an advantage there, definitely. And you've just got to kind of apply yourself as much as possible. Names to look at, you can look at Amia Tackler, Alison Grimaldi, Shirley Salmon, Stuart McGill, Dean Somerset, and Louise, obviously. Go on courses and try and surround yourself with people more knowledgeable than yourself. And then don't be afraid to ask questions as well. We as personal trainers, you know, we're a bit of a jack of all, master of none. And if we can recognise this and, and we can't know everything and ask for help and just basically don't try and wing it is the words I'm looking for really. The best therapists, they won't mind answering questions, especially when we're genuine and we only have the best interest of the patient at heart. I think you gain a lot of respect that way as well. And knowing when you're at your depth is important as well and not being afraid to refer someone out to a specialist and don't worry about not getting that person back. You know, if you if your client's loyal and you've done a good job you'll get them back as well so and it's working with these people and then gaining trust with them as well so that's good advice tom 
And we've been asked also to say where the referrals come from. So ours come from word of mouth, hip surgeons from all over the country. Some come from podiatrists, chiropractors, osteopaths, and some come from reading about the work we do in the practice. And of course, some from GPs and musculoskeletal physicians. We found that the feedback from the doctors has been really positive regarding working as a team approach rather than just working as physiotherapists and then and combining Tom's work with ours as well as our Pilates instructors and our other health professionals. And we've found that's led to Tom's work steadily expanding. So what happens is patients are mainly assessed first by the physios here and then we refer to Tom or the Pilates practitioners or our other allied health people. Occasionally, if they see Tom first, one thing he's very good at is acting swiftly and referring onto us and saying, actually, this is out of my boundary of what I do. You need to see Louise, um, Anna or one of the other guys at the practice. Or if it's certain things, it might be to see the GP. And that's then built our trust and built our relationship um, together, which is really important in a team. So we all have a common goal, and that's to work together to help our patients reach their own goal. And my advice to trainers would be to form links with health professions in your area. Try and understand what each of you you can uniquely do and respect each other's skills and communicate professionally and always be open to learning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us, guys. We really appreciate it. For more information about FitPro education and for details on FitPro membership and insurance, you can visit us at fitpro.com. We hope you enjoy today's podcast and see you next time.